the incomparable. Number 472, August 2019. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. In this episode, our book club has reconvened to talk about a different set of awards. We were here to talk about the Nebula Awards for science fiction and fantasy. Well, guess what? There's also the Hugo Awards, and we're going to talk about them, too. And uh, mostly the novels, but we'll probably throw in some other stuff if we have opinions about any of the other stuff. Uh, The awards will be given out in Dublin, Ireland, in... Uh, I guess later this month, I'll put it that way, later this month. Um, joining me to talk about the Hugo nominees for novel and other things are the following wonderful people. Scott McNulty is here. Scott, <laughs> you've had children. You'll never read again. <laughs> that, that is what they tell me. I know I'm going to read a lot, except the books are going to be much shorter and they'll have many more pictures. Yes, and rhymes and the words will be smaller. It's, it's but... like I'm reading graphic novels like all the kids are doing. Yeah, it's totally like that. <laughs> Dr. Seuss, the original graphic novelist. Aline Sims is here. Hello. Hi. Um, so every year I say, I should really take notes as I read. And this year, I really should have taken notes as I read. That's okay. We're going to work through it together. This may be a podcast where four people spend an hour trying to remember what happened in that book they read a long time ago. And, and of course, now I must introduce Hugo winner, Erica Ensign. <laughs> you do this to me every year, and every year I forget you're going to do this to me. Thank you, Jason. It's nice to be here. Well, the nice thing is I forget, too, and then I think of it, and I think, oh, this is clever. I probably did this the last three years. Um, okay. We did an episode about the Nebulas. You can read about it. What's mm-hmm. funny is three of the novel, novels nominated for the Hugos were also nom- nominated for the Nebulas. So, so we've already done them. Yeah. I guess we should talk about them at least briefly, just to yeah. go over them again. Sure. I actually remember them probably the best of all of them because we talked about them together. <laughs> we just talked about those novels. So, okay. So let's let's do those first, not randomly selected at all. I'm just picking from a list here. Uh, the Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Kowal was nominated for this as well as for the Nebula. It won the Nebula Award. Yep. Mm-hmm. So there... Or something. <laughs> so congratulations, Mary Robinette. Yeah, well deserved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of us thought that was the best of those. Some of mm-hmm. us didn't. Mm-hmm. Some of us okay. uh, picked a different one instead, and that's why it finished third <laughs> in our aggregate choice. So we didn't win the Nebulas, is what I'm saying. Well, some of you did. But some of us really loved it, like me and Aline. I won. I won, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah that's I right. I don't want to... Anyway, you can listen fingers. to episode 461, Teep Jerkface, to hear all about it, but it is a <laughs> uh, alternate history about early days of a sp- of a of a, a space program, and the main character ends up being, this is not a spoiler, because it's very clear from the outset, the first woman in space. And uh, there are all sorts of adventures that happen, like uh, with space stuff and, and uh, jerky people. <laughs> who are astronauts, Mm -hmm. believe it or not. Sexism and racism and, you know, all the all the stuff that comes along with being alive in the 1950s in the United States. A little bit of anti-Semitism in there, too, just for. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all in there. And then they and then some of them rise above it. Some of them don't. But some of them (laughs) do rise above it. Literally rise above it. (laughs) And there's a whole story about that. And it's called The Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Kowal, because it's a book (laughs) that you can read. I know. I know. Anyway, it's really good. Uh, mm-hmm. And some of us really, really liked it. And I hear, Aline, back mm-hmm. me up on this because I don't actually know, that the uh, audiobook of that is great because apparently Mary Robinette Kowal, is, uh, who narrates it herself, is kind of really good at narrating audiobooks. She's amazing. She is an amazing, amazing, amazing narrator. And mm-hmm. Calculating star- Stars in the Faded Sky, its sequel, both really good. Yeah. Cannot recommend it highly enough. Mm-hmm. Other people also hire her to read their books. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. She, she's, she's, she's a great. pro. She's also very good at puppets, and I keep waiting for when she's going to do a puppet version of an audiobook. Just put her <laughs> her skills together and it? just do like just a little puppet. The, the audio of a puppet show? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. it's a, no, it would be like a YouTube video. It would be like the uh, puppet audio book. That makes more sense. Yeah, I, I would watch oh. that of the Calculating Stars. Like, I, I would attention. not. Puppets freak me out. <laughs> I don't puppets. puppets. I've actually been in a house when Mary Robinette Kowal was giving a puppet show to the children living in the house, and I left the room. You left the room, yeah. <laughs> Sounds yep. like you. Sounds like you. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, also nominated that it, that we read and talked about already 
is Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. Uh, we rated this fourth out of five in our uh, our little poll that we did. Of us. Yeah, we all, it's four, uh, and really it's fourth <laughs> out of six because the, the last two tied. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it sounds like us. Naomi Novik, a uh, really good writer. This is a sort of Rumpelstiltskin-esque story, but not, and it's so it's a fantasy story about a uh, a young woman it's several young women but it's a, primarily i would say about a young woman who um takes over for her father as a money lender and so she has this ability to turn uh silver into gold i don't know i mean it's like <laughs> metaphorically and then there are also they're like <clears throat> fantasy ice people who take it literally and uh and then there's a yeah. there's a queen and a princess and a mean prince and um, and a fairyland that sort of exists kind of in the same space as the quote unquote real world, but that can only be accessed in certain ways. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a cabin that uh, exists in two frames simultaneously, which the book somewhat maddeningly thinks is going to be confusing for the reader, whereas at least as a reader, I saw it immediately and then read several chapters where it was being coy about the thing that was very obvious. But um, I did like that book a lot. Um, and as a, somebody who's not a heavy fantasy reader, I, I have really enjoyed both of these fantasy novels that Naomi Novik has written that are sort of like taking from like traditional fairy tale stories and then using it as raw material to tell whatever fantasy novel she wants to write. Mm-hmm. Definitely with a yeah. flavor of something that's written now. Yes, for which sure. Is, which is nice. Yes. And I did think that, so I think Spinning Silver was really good. It came in so far down because I think we all pretty much agreed. It just felt like it was too long. Too long, too long. yeah. But mm-hmm. it was good. I really liked Uprooted, which was the previous fantasy novel she wrote. And I like mm-hmm. that better than Spinning Silver. So that was probably part yeah. of it, too. But I did like it. Yes. It's good. She's a good writer. Yeah. My disappointment, for some reason, thinking Spinning Silver was a sequel, it was not a <laughs> no. sequel. So that was uh, my yes. own fault. But yeah. And yeah. I was also waiting for Rumpelstiltskin to appear. Uh, and it was more of a uh, kind of an allusion to Rumpelstiltskin a retelling. So he did not appear. He so did by not the end appear. of it, I was like, there's no Rumpelstiltskin in this book. I want a refund. <laughs> exactly. And then another joint nominee that we need to mention, but we already talked about in episode 461, which is Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse. Now, this one uh, won our aggregate poll. It was the highest rated collectively of the six Nebula novels, uh, but again, did not win because Calculating Stars won. And this is the novel that I like to describe as uh, sort of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, except she's Native American. um, And it's... And then it starts to unravel because it's like, and it's kind of a post-apocalypse thing where most of society has fallen apart, but but her uh, nation is still kind of together. And then, but there, the key is there's a girl and there are monsters and she has powers that give her the ability to kill them. And after this apocalypse, the, the gods have actually come back from wherever it was that they were. So they're actually like hanging out mm-hmm. on earth sometimes and not helpful yeah. <laughs> not not as such no no yeah you're right like oh coyote oh the that's a classic story there oh no it's a guy it's an actual it's the real mm-hmm. coyote is an actual guy in that book trickster god and aline you mentioned that um growing up in western colorado that you had a lot of uh resonance trail of lightning had a lot of resonance for you in terms of the setting yeah i, I loved it just because there's so much representation in that book that we don't get in a lot of other books, both for, you know, people who belong to the Navajo nation, um, because the main character is Navajo, and also just like the landscapes of the Southwest and that kind of stuff that we don't really see, you know, at least in the books that I read where it's like, no, it's more of like a European fantasy, you know, like Game of Thrones type stuff and having kind of the, the landscape I grew up with in the novel was really... I don't know. It touched me in a way I didn't think it would. So I really appreciated it. All right. So that leaves us with three books we didn't talk about. Mm-hmm. That's the We've math. We've mathed it. We've mathed it. So let's start with Revenant Gun by Yoon Ha Lee. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I just got really excited there. Uh, this is the third book in a series, all of which I think have been nominated because I keep reading them. <laughs> because they get keep getting nominated. This is the Nine Fox Gambit was the first one series of books. This is set in that uh, science fiction world, but it's also got kind of a weird, like, 
fantasy element, sort of, where it's like the idea that there are calendars that you can use these calendars, which are there's like calculations and math that changes the rules of physics in parts of the universe. It's very, very peculiar, uh, but good, but very mm-hmm. peculiar. And in this, the third book, um, which sort of wraps things up, but I get the sense maybe doesn't really. Yeah. Um, the, our main character. So we, we, we meet in the first book, we meet a, a character who is a young woman who is basically uh, grafted to this um, saved personality of a brilliant and evil and um, messed up general and he becomes sort of like uh, he keeps kind of like talking to her in her head and the idea there is that he doesn't have a body because he's been dead for centuries but he uh they keep his his mind around to use to fight various battles and uh and you see the push and pull between those characters in the second book the entire book is basically told as uh, the resolution of the first book that this character, I mean, sorry, spoilers for this, but we, we have to talk about the third book a little bit here. But we get the we get the sense that the, the general has won out and now the general is in charge, which is not entirely the case in book two. And then in book three, we're back at it where there are lots of other people kind of jousting in, in this revolution that's going on and, and the the order of the, the hex arcade that has been in in charge of this space for a long time and these six ruling groups and all of that uh, is, is all kind of falling apart and there are uh, all sorts of different characters who are trying to um, exert their authority including as it turns out this same character we've been following through the three books and I, I, I'm trying to do this justice but it's like it, it, one of the things about this trilogy that I think is its greatest asset, but is also maybe a liability, is it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. And especially that that first book, as we talked about when we talked about it a couple of years ago, you're really sort of just dropped in the middle of this fictional world and nothing is explained to you. You really have to pick it up by context clues and, you know, just really paying attention. I feel like part of the reason that I liked this book best, I think Revenant Gun is my favorite of the three and I liked all three of them. I think maybe a little little sliver of why that is the case is that I have now spent two books marinating in this world. So yep. I kind of understand how things work. Like, what are the rules of of the society? I maybe still don't completely understand, you know, calendrical warfare, but I have enough of a grasp on it to, to know that, you know, when these people and these ships get to that spot, that's bad for those other people. Like, I've, I've got the, the basic outlines of it. So I really enjoyed the fact that I could kind of read this without trying as hard whereas i enjoyed the trying that was in, that was involved in the first couple books um that was that aspect of it was mostly gone at this point at this point it was more just kind of like sitting back and digging into the characters and the fact that, that the character that i find the most fascinating which is the sort of like the the ghost you know the nine fox himself uh we get it we get him twice so that was that was a really cool thing about this book that we have sort of two different versions of that same character uh going up against each other yeah there's a clone so i said he doesn't have a body because they've stored his mind but in this it's revealed that there is also like a library of clones and that you can load from the black archive which is where they keep these sort of like disembodied minds from history um that they they can make these clone bodies and insert the personalities and so one of the characters in this book is a young basically jadao who is the old just war criminal totally wacky kind of mind that got inserted in our main character in book one but there's another and and that that mind has sort of been integrated into the main character but there's another one of him who has to grapple with all of these horrible things that he would go on to do but the clone doesn't remember them and and so it, it really gets to it, it it's it's paying off our interest in these characters to give us two different versions of that that guy. It's very much the young idealistic version of a person coming up against the 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 jaded crusty older version of himself. And like it just in in reading it, I was thinking, wow, what would it be like? Even you know, not to necessarily fight against, but what would it be like to just go out for coffee with seventeen year old me? And what what how mind blowing would that be? And here it is writ large, you know, on a galactic scale in terms of the 
the skills and uh, you know job of this particular person. I, I I really loved that part of this book. Scott, what do you think of it? Well, I have been quiet because I uh, my strategy for this podcast was to look on Goodreads and see what I uh, rated these books. Strategi- <laughs> stratagem. <laughs> Right? Uh, exactly. It's a stratagem uh, in these books. Is, that is true. It's the Raven uh, stratagem. This is the McCulty stratagem happening right, right now. It's, it's less complicated than the, these books, but it's pretty straightforward. Uh, <laughs> and so I gave it five stars. I also realized I read it over a year ago because I read it immediately when it came out because I really like this series. Uh, and I remember really enjoying this book. And in fact, uh, I think spoilers for this podcast, we're probably going to rank these books. And uh, this mm-hmm. will be my favorite. Uh, that being said, I remember almost nothing about what happens in this book, uh, except I do have a strong memory. Uh, they have these these ships that they call what, like war moths or something? And yeah. Throughout- Mm-hmm. The first two books, they're kind of just yeah. like, you know, you think they're pieces of equipment. Uh, and in this book, it turns out there's a little bit more to the story than that. Uh, and you think, well, this is already complicated. Why are you adding more complicated things? But it just it works. Uh, and the, the universe that uh, has been created in these books is so rich and intricate and challenging. Uh, and then, you know, you set all of these characters that are you know clones of other characters and have two personalities in them and, you know, have uh, this this cylindrical structure around it and it just makes it uh, very complex and very interesting and and very rewarding. And you've got this incredibly powerful um character who is essentially immortal because he's got mm-hmm. a you know backups of his mind and he's got clone bodies and he can go on forever and and that's an interesting uh opponent to have because in theory he's got all the assets and all the institutional memory and so he's a very dangerous person to be on the wrong side of which they basically are in this you're right though that is a fantastic twist because um what yunha lee is doing here is he's basically counting on our acceptance of all of these wild ideas to be the fact that these spaceships are all moths you're like oh Okay, that's another interesting piece of color in the storytelling. And in the third book, uh, again, I'm going to spoil it a little bit, but, you know, it, it's 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 fine. I'm just going to do it. Uh, in the third book, it's like, oh, no, we call them moths because they're alive. And it's like, oh, <laughs> what? Oh, interesting. Because there's a, there's a character who's getting these various kind of like telepathic messages. And it's like, who is that? It's the ship you're on, it turns out. It's just a great moment where where uh, the uh, author pulls the rug out from under you a little bit. And it's mm-hmm. very... The, the I think I said this last year, maybe, or the year before when we talked about these books, but this is one of those things where the author has cranked the difficulty level for himself up pretty high. Where it's like, well, this is going to be really complicated. It's hard for you, but I also have to like do a high wire act here in order to get this to work. And although it's not always easy reading, in fact, it's generally not easy reading, like for this level of difficulty, you know, he does a pretty great job of paying it off because it it, it is very hard stuff, to, very tricky, very complicated, and yet very well done. Yeah, Scott mentioned something about like uh, the the complexity of the world and then adding another little bit of complexity here. Uh, one of the other things which we sort of got, well, more than hinted at in the second book is that um, they have these little like robot robot constructs mm-hmm. um, that, that wait on them. And in the first book, they're they're literally just like robots that sweep up their Roombas, as far as we know. And then in the second book, it turns out that, uh, that no, there's actually a way to communicate with them. And then in this book, not only do we get the more complications of, you know, the fact that the ships are alive, but there are a whole different strata of society and different, uh, different factions and groups of these, you know, sentient machine creatures. And that factors into the plot and how some of the characters are able to get around because you know if you have creatures that everybody thinks of as you know basically a Roomba they're not going to be noticed so I think that was another nice touch that you have this sort of you know downtrodden level of society that people don't even realize that they're they're treading upon and uh, the main characters different main characters are able to make use of of them in order to meet their goals. I will say that didn't surprise me too much because in book one, it's clear that there's more to the surfers than we think. And in book two, it's very, very clear, but they still don't do anything. And I thought, well, this is obviously 
a trap door, right? This is obviously going to go off at some point. In this book, it does, but I do love how they are they are fully personified as characters. There is there is a uh, there are, well, it's a pair who ends up. Is it one of them that ends up traveling? They're on. There's a planet where this immortal godlike being with all the clones goes every so often, every few hundred years, and they're like <laughs> three servitors on that planet whose job is basically to just keep it tidy in case this being comes back, which they will every two or 300 years. And um, I love that part of it because they've got their own opinions about each other and all of that. And you get to spend some time with them. And then of course, what happens is uh, Jadao comes instead of the, the godlike being because, uh, and it's kind of a, a con game and there's a, there's some strategy going on there. And then they end up taking uh, one of them back to the rest of space with them. And like, I liked all of that. And then they, then they become very important. And there are other servitor characters that have to be sort of talked to by this one and the, it did pay off it, it 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 took a while but it did pay off in this one aline you have thoughts about revenant gun i'm desperately trying to remember it like the more you're talking i'm just letting <laughs> it familiar? wash over me um <laughs> yeah yeah i really liked it so it's interesting because this is the book out of all of them it was the last one i read and that was over two months ago now so i'm like <laughs> hmm um but I remember really loving it. And I remember having that feeling of, oh, yeah, all of these things are really starting. I think payoff has been used uh, a couple of times. These things are starting to pay off. And this book was like the reward of what I felt was the slog of the first book, because the first book was like, I like this, but I have no idea what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then the second book, I was like, oh, I kind of get it. And by the third book, I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel like, you know, I don't know exactly what's going on, but I understand it well enough, like, you know, Erica was saying in the beginning. And the more the more I'm listening to you talk and remembering things about, like, the intricacies, like the deep dive into the servitor society and that kind of stuff that we get in this book. Well, maybe not a deep dive, but, you know, these these extra details that get layered in is... It really it had a lot of the character moments that I love and I liked it so much because of that. It was less about building this complicated universe and more of like, I don't know, like the dessert in the meal. Um, it was it was the dessert <laughs> layer of the of the three book um, uh, meal or whatever. I don't know. But um, yeah, it was great. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, it's uh, it's. This is what would you say, Scott? This we is it hard science fiction? Would you? I mean, it feels like hard science fiction, but it's got all this wacky, no. calendrical, whatever. It feels like it though. It's like there's spaceships and it's the future, and the society is very different, and there's clones and there's robot sentient robot people and all that, and it does feel like it's an in intricate uh, hard science fiction space opera kind of mixture, but. I don't know. I think it's more space opera than hard sci-fi. Yeah, sci I guess you're right. Because they'll... Calendars. They're, they're, yeah, mm -hmm. the calendar... Yeah, it's hard science fiction for me, at least, is it's based on actual, actual laws of science. Uh, extrapolated, nope. and of course, but this is not. So, uh, but certainly, I think it speaks highly of the author's skill that it. I agree with you. It does feel like hard science fiction, but it is totally not. It's not, no. <laughs> no, no, I think that's it. It gives you the vibe that this is this epic hard science fiction flavored uh thing and but it's it's you know mostly nonsense it's but good nonsense <laughs> just not like yes, again well calendars. nonsense calendars and the and the all the weird names they've got for basically what are like spells essentially right <laughs> or weapons that have spells cast on them the the mm -hmm. oh what are they called the the winnowers or whatever it is that's like yeah. the horrible There's... weapon that they have oh right 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 yeah well, it's we've talked a lot about a book that's the third book in a trilogy, so if you haven't read any of them, don't read <laughs> Revenant Gun. Start at the beginning with Nine Fox Gambit. But uh, Yeah, and there was, I don't remember the name of it, but there was a, it was either a novella or a novelette that is set in this universe. Um, I think it was nominated for a Hugo last year. Uh, I would definitely recommend um, tracking that down if you really like this world. It's actually, um, it's the Jedi character in his actual life much, much earlier on. So probably at some point after this this clone 
clone's memories uh, happened. Maybe? No, it was beforehand because it actually, it yeah, you want to read that before you read this book because this book actually kind of refers back to some of the events in that uh, in, oh. in, in that um, novella or novelette or whatever it was. So like there's, you know, if, if you've read that, there's, there are a couple moments where like, ah, I know what he's about to do <laughs> and you totally get it. It's much lighter. It's definitely frothier, um, but it was it was quite good too. That's extracurricular activities, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Bonus reading. Bonus. Great. Okay, let's take a break for a moment and let me do a sponsor read. Our sponsor this week is Pingdom. Pingdom from our friends at Solar Winds. Love this thing. Use this thing. Let me explain. It's summertime, but uh, you know, you want to escape. You want to pack your bags. You want to set that out of office message. But you need something to tell you when your computer that's running your website eventually betrays you because it will they always betray you and that's why you need pingdom pingdom lets you know the moment your site goes down in whatever way is best for you you can customize how you're alerted who is alerted maybe it's not you maybe it's somebody else depending on the severity of the outage so if there's a huge betrayal by all your systems at once because they've been talking to each other and they have decided to kill all humans then you can know but maybe minor issues you can just be on your vacation Uh, which is nice because then when you're out of the office, you can stay out of the office. Take your vacation with a peace of mind, knowing that someone is going to get alerted when something goes wrong. It's easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is your URL. They take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash OOO. That stands for out of office right now and get a free 14-day trial. No credit card required. When you sign up, use the code SNELL, my last name, at checkout, and you'll get a cool 30% off your first invoice And for a limited time only, enter for a chance to win a free out-of-office t-shirt by going to pingdom.com slash OOO. Check it out, pingdom.com slash OOO. It stands for out-of-office. Thank you to Pingdom for supporting the incomparable. All right. um, Moving on then to Record of a Spaceborn Few. This is the third book in the Wayfarers series by Becky Chambers. Uh, this is a long way to a small angry planet was the the first one which is an interesting book close to common orbit last year was a nominee um, much more i would say of a straightforward novel and one that i liked a lot whereas long way to a small angry planet felt like a series of episodic adventures involving the crew of a spaceship record mm-hmm. of a spaceborn few again tangentially related There is a character who's the sibling, I think, of one of the characters in the Mm -hmm. other novel. Um, But it is set in that same universe where you've got these different kinds of aliens. And in the case of Record of a Spaceborn Few, and this is the one where I was struggling to remember um, a lot of the details, but it's the people who are basically like, they left Earth on a fleet and never really got anywhere. And even though now all of the galaxy is kind of open and there are all these different planets, there are also these people who are humans who are living on these spaceships and uh, they have limited supplies and there's a very dramatic thing where one of them, one of the ships gets blown up and it's very tragic. And, but it's this, and a human comes to visit them or maybe live with them and you get the culture clash of the human who is from elsewhere out in the big galaxy and this very insular culture that is um, built up around these spaceships that essentially had nowhere to go and so they didn't go anywhere um, and they're just kind of out in space all kind of uh, lashed together. Uh, that's that's my recollection of uh, Record of a Spaceborn Few. Can anybody else help me out with this one? <laughs> yeah, I actually remember it fairly well in terms of it was it was definitely more vignette like like the uh, like the first book. Uh, as you mentioned, and there are you're getting a view of the society from a bunch of different levels and perspectives at the same time, which is interesting. There's definitely the outside perspective of, you know, so so there's basically different three types of three different types of humans in the universe. There are humans who still are living in the solar system on Mars and on other colonies. They're the, the ones that never want, wanted to leave. There are the humans who just took all of the materials that they could take from poor 
ruined Earth and built a bunch of spaceships and, and made the, the fleet and uh, and then shuttled off into the world. And then when they are into the universe and when they got out into the universe, then they discovered the uh, the rest of the universe that there's oh, there's a whole bunch of other um uh, people of different sorts out here. There's a lot of different alien races. And over the course of time, many of the humans have left the fleet or left the solar system and are living on other planets and other moons and uh, space stations and stuff. So you have one of those people, one of the people who had been living on a planet coming and uh, living on this entirely enclosed space. So we definitely get the outsider's perspective there. And then there's at least one of the point of view characters from the fleet who is kind of like a teenager and really wants to get the heck out. They think like nothing ever changes here. It's always the same. We literally have to recycle every molecule of things that we use because we have no way to make more molecules. And uh, they just think it's boring and they they want to split as fast as they can. Uh, and then there are several other people that uh, kind of weave in and out uh, in between all of those. Right. There's the an alien who comes to from an interesting race mm-hmm. that we've seen before in these books who comes to learn about them, which mm-hmm. I thought was a, a nice, a nice like outside perspective on them. I really love that. I just my favorite things about these books is how well Becky Chambers has built out this universe. Like she's got yeah. an answer for everything. And the way that society works in this fleet is fascinating to me just from the idea that, yeah, you are really, really limited in your resources. So you have to be very careful and everybody is sort of trapped together. So you have to make sure that your society is is sort of run as smoothly as can be. So they have a a concept where when you get to be a certain age, you actually do like internships um, in multiple different types of jobs to try to find something that fits you and that you will be happy doing for the rest of your life um which i was like why can't we have that (laughs) i i wish we could have we could have done that um and yeah just like everything down to you know the the not wasting things down to human bodies you actually have to before this story happened there was a, a catastrophe on one of the ships and a whole bunch of people died and there was a big sort of uh Big, a lot of consternation around, okay, what do we do with all of those bodies that are just hanging out there in space? They technically should all be recycled, um, you know, which has almost sort of religious overtones to it. But there's just too many. And, you know, one of the characters has, has had that in their past that they've had to deal with. What are we going to do with it? I think they ended up just um, pushing a bunch of them into a, a nearby sun or something to sort of be cremated in space. And there are still people who are unhappy with that. So there are just so many layers to this society that it was it was a pleasure dipping back into this universe and learning about a different corner of it from what we had learned about previously because all the other ones were just sort of like humans were kind of you know were the the bottom rung on the ladder humans had only recently been even accepted into the galactic commons or or whatever it is and uh and humans just like they're, they're not the movers and the shakers in the universe so now we are here we are in the third book and we get to actually see like okay so where is humanity what are what are they doing what are most of the humans doing in the world and it's this it's pretty cool yeah i i don't know how to say this other than to say i feel like with becky chambers we're also kind of witnessing somebody getting visibly better as a writer and i like long way to a small angry planet a lot but with every book i feel like she gets more confident and she gets more you know picks up more skills and she's got more tricks that she can play and explore this universe that she set up with that with that first book which is it's fun to see that to see the progression happening that it it uh i think that it keeps getting better uh scott and Aline, you have said nothing um have we refreshed your memory about <laughs> record of a space born feud how did you know? I was trying to remember what happened in a record uh, it's, of a space. It's very you. Lucky guess. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is kind of my shtick. I also read this almost a year ago, uh, so it, it is not very fresh in my memory. I do recall liking it. I did like. Uh, uh, I kind of echo what Erica said. Erica remembers far more details than I did, but I did. I, enjoy I did an it. episode of recently read about this, so it's ah. it's, it's in my head. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, I, I did like the idea that you know, there's this society that is very strict and has all these rituals uh and they know that the rest of the world the rest of the universe exists so you can leave if you want to uh but 
there are, you know, there, it's a big struggle between, you know, leaving what you know and going somewhere else. And then the interesting idea of that character uh, coming from a planet and where he was, or I think it was he, right? Uh, was yeah, so. not living the greatest life. So he was kind of like, Ugh, this this is crappy. I'm going to go join the human fleet. Surely there my life will be much better. Uh, and then without really realizing all the things that happen in that fleet. Uh, and so, you know, trading one set of troubles for another. Uh, it's just interesting, especially if someone who lives in Pennsylvania and not too far from uh, Amish folks who mm-hmm. have a very similar kind of thing where they have a set of uh, uh, strongly held beliefs and a community and they obviously know about the, the outside world, but they, they just do their own thing uh, and they have for hundreds of years and they're not changing anything, uh, but you can leave or not. So I, I just found it very interesting from that kind of uh, uh, lens. Aline. I really like that it's kind of this exploration of society and life and religion when you you culturally lose all of your touch points. I don't know if this makes sense, but like on Earth, we have so many things that um, are incorporated into religious traditions and practices just because of the physical environment around us. And that's what happens in this book is, you know, the the way that jobs are approached and um, life is handled and death is handled and the reverence with which all of this happens is due to like, we have finite resources. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to figure this out. And it becomes this really um, beautiful, sacred conglomeration of I don't know belief and I think that it's a really neat examination of all of that um I didn't love it as much as I've loved the previous two books I think just the setting maybe wasn't as interesting to me and the the it's not a religious book but the religiousness of the society didn't resonate with me personally. And so I was like, yeah, this is a good book, but I don't know if it's a great book. And for me, it's not as great as the other two, which I just found personally more interesting. I do agree that it's wonderful to kind of feel like I'm along for uh, Becky Chambers's journey as a writer and listen, you know, watching her grow and add more not to say that her plots and stuff weren't intricate before, but to see how she's learning, how she and her process and with her voice kind of layer in different elements of story and how she intertwines them. It's a lot of fun. And it was a lot of fun to read it from that perspective. So I definitely, definitely recommend the book. It's not one of my top picks for yeah. this award, though. All right. Yeah. Spoiler. I totally echo what what Aline just said. Um, I it's it's my least favorite of the three. I think that while while Jason, you're you're right that that you can see that her writing has grown in many ways. I think for me, the thing that I can pinpoint is character wise, I didn't care about the characters yeah. in this book in the same way that I did. So in the first book, it's 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 a bunch of little vignettes, but they're all happening to the same characters who are on a spaceship together. And then the second book is more a traditional novel where you're seeing, you know, this small group of characters go through something from beginning to middle to end. And here it feels like there are more characters um, that you're that you're watching and they're not all interacting with each other. They each some of them do, but they have their own sort of stories. So there wasn't as much to sort of like make it feel like a family to me. And Hmm. that was one of the things that really made me love the the other two books. Um, I will say that that because of the fact that these these books may take place in the same universe, but they're they're not I wouldn't say that's it's a sequel. It's not a trilogy. So if this sounds interesting, so if these ideas sound interesting to you and you haven't read the other books, don't feel like you need to. You can jump in with Record of a Spaceborn Few and you're not going to be missing anything. You're not going to be confused by anything. It's so tangentially related. Um, I feel like you can read these three books kind of in any order and you'd be pretty much fine. But I think this one is maybe even the least connected of of the three. Yeah, I agree with that. You could you you could read them in any order, and you would probably only if you were playing paying close attention would you notice that there are people who are related to other people. Yep, exactly. That is record of a spaceborne few. That brings us to 
drum roll, <laughs> Space Opera by Catherine M. Valente. Uh, the elevator for, pitch for this is, what if there was a Eurovision contest, which is, for those who don't know, a, a really over-the-top uh, music uh, singing and songwriting contest that happens in Europe every year, um, except it happened in the galaxy, and the competitors included planets that were just recently discovered um, and uh, or brought into the co- the community of of uh, of the galaxy, and if you lose, they destroy your planet and decide you're not sentient. Yeah, and uh, that's that is essentially the premise of space opera, which is written in a I would I would say high level of homage to Douglas Adams, very discursive, lots of tangents, lots of parentheticals, lots of little side things that are are told and then you return about uh, about a, a guy who is in a band that nobody really knows that was mildly successful and hasn't been around for a long time, who is essentially chosen by a bunch of wacky aliens to be Earth's representative, and that he and his pals have to perform you know, in a genre and, a, and a, a whole system that they don't really even understand. But if they finish last, the Earth will be uh, essentially destroyed and hu- the human race will be at its end. And that is the high concept. Eurovision in space with aliens. <laughs> and if you don't do a good job, washed up rocker, your people will all die. That is space opera. Um, I hated it. <laughs> How did Me everybody too. else feel? I, I did. I, I, as I was reading it, I thought if I wanted to read someone uh, trying to channel Douglas Adams, I would just read Douglas Adams because he's far better at writing as Douglas Adams, uh, which may not be kind, but is what I felt. Um, and, and I should preface this also by saying I don't have any interest in Eurovision either. So there may have been a lot of uh, Eurovision in-jokes that sailed over my head. Uh, so if you love Eurovision, you might want to read Space Opera, but everybody else, uh, maybe you should avoid it. <laughs> I actually engaged my 33% rule for space opera. And I've I've mentioned this on the podcast before. When I'm doing award reading, if I get to 33% in and it's just not doing it for me, I will move on to the next book or the next story and then loop around back if I get the time. And I haven't had time to loop back to space opera. So I have to admit that I technically haven't done all the reading because there's still 66% of this book that I haven't gotten through. Once you once you get I I would have to look up where I abandoned it, Erica, but I I didn't Mm -hmm. get through it either because I I got through the well, I guess I should read some more. And then I got it. Well, I read some more. When can I stop punishing myself by reading this book? (laughs) And I eventually got there. See, I felt like it was doing what it was trying to do very well. I just felt like that was very much not for me. Um, I am, I'm not a fan of Douglas Adams at all. So I, uh, it's been years since I read any of his books. Uh, well, okay, except for I, except I, for in Doctor Who, but I like love, his his I novels. I love Douglas Adams, and I'm with Scott, mm-hmm. which is um, this is not this bad. is not the, <laughs> this is not bad because it's Douglas Adams. Like it's bad because it's bad at it. Well, I was yes. just I was just saying I didn't. I don't remember his style enough to have made that comparison. Actually, what I found was just at, at like a sentence structure level, it actually reminded me of some of the short stories by Harlan Ellison that I have read, <laughs> the, specifically the ones the, the ones that I liked the least, because like the sentences themselves were were florid and kind of, you know, they're clever and they're beautiful. But when you put them all together, they don't make something that is interesting to me and I just it felt like work like you know you'd get to the end of a paragraph and I would just be like wait what did I just read and then I'd have to go back and I'd have to read it again and it that that wasn't fun for me and I also don't like Eurovision so I'm I'm coming into this with the same sort of handicap that that Scott is so I'm just not uh this book was not for me but uh I didn't think it was bad I just didn't like it so, all right that makes sense yep Sorry, I um I think I am much as I want to be, I am not a fan of the author in general. I've tried some of her other books and have not enjoyed them and I listened to this. First I tried reading it actually 
and was it just bouncing off of it. So then I got it from the library and listened to it and continued to bounce off of it. And I listened to the entire thing, but I'm not sure I understood any of it. It just, it, <laughs> it, I, I hate talking negatively about things, but I just could mm-hmm. not, I could not, um, with this book. And I kind of wish that I hadn't invested the time in trying to read it because it just, it never got to the point where I was like, where something clicked into place. And I was like, Oh, actually this is pretty good. It was just, um, just not for me. And I'm, I also, I don't watch Eurovision. I, I, I get it, but I don't watch it. And yeah, I, I would not recommend the book. And even people I know who, watch and like Eurovision I feel like have said that they didn't really love space opera but I've also seen people say they really enjoyed it so I don't know Mm -hmm. yeah this is like a Marmite book like if you like it you probably (sighs) really really love it and if you don't you probably really really don't the polarizing it may it may be indeed Mm -hmm. a polarizing novel yeah I feel like it's super it's super niche like for the people who like who this is for it is so very much for you that like you're gonna be just you know tripping through space but for probably more other people it's uh it's going to be difficult a difficult slog yeah it's funny I'm I'm more comfortable talking about a book that I don't like than Aline is apparently um (laughs) I I think this is I think this is really bad I've been I felt like I I had a uh a, a nice run there where there were uh, it's been since that uh that charlie jane, jane anders book that i hated two years ago since i've uh, read a book that i uh for one of these award podcasts that i've disliked this much and i i um it's funny the first round of hugo reading i ever did was a year that a Catherine m valente novel was nominated which was palimpsest and i despised despised it. I hated that book. And for several years I thought, oh boy, Catherine M. Valente. She like Mira Grant, like she's on my list of like, I just don't like these books. I just don't like these books. And then I read, I think, a novella by Catherine M. Valente, and it was beautiful and I really liked it. And this is gonna be a theme because I'm gonna say something nice about the person who is Mira Grant in a little bit on this <laughs> podcast. Um but which means you know, you can like some things that an author does and not other things. And and what I'll say yeah. is that um, like like Palimpsest, which I, I really, really, really didn't like, I really don't like space opera. And if you if it hits you the right way, that's great. I thought it was trying so hard to be clever, so hard to be cool, so hard to be funny. And you know what? It wasn't any of those things. It was embarrassing. Sorry, Ooh. Hugo's. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. That's fair. But I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was reminded to go on Goodreads and give it one star, so I did. <laughs> that uh, That's six. That's six novels. That's six novels. Now, I want to talk about um, other things that got nominated for Hugo's, just in case people have opinions about them. And I did read a few of the novellas and have some very brief thoughts. But first, I'm going to do the thing that I always make you do. Which is I'm going to make you rank them. So that we can do our little summation of generally what the panel thought of uh, of uh, these six novels. So, um, Erica, can you rank them? I I can, well I have to because I'm voting. Mm-hmm. Oh <laughs> so yes, I've that's true. That's true. As we mm-hmm. record this, the voting is closes tomorrow, and so yes, those of yep. us who are voting mm-hmm. will need to do that. Uh, in the next 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, no surprise, Revenant Gun is at the top of my list because I just love, love, loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is Trail of Lightning. Mm-hmm. Number three is The Calculating Stars, because even though I ranked it lower <laughs> on, our, <laughs> on our previous one, like the more that I've thought about it, I think it's 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 I've warmed to it a little bit. All right. Um, Yay. Spinning Silver is number four. Uh-huh. Uh, Record of a Spaceborn Few is number five. And then... Uh, a fairly distant six is space opera. Yeah. In, in Hugo voting terms, Erica, <laughs> it will be belie- below no award. That's how I'm going to rank that. <laughs> it's it's below uh, below the mm-hmm. just just don't have an award winner this year rather than give it to space opera. That's sad. That's, it's, that's cold. It's strong medicine, but it has to happen. Hey, that's the Hugos. The Hugos make that possible. <laughs> they do. So you gotta they let you do sometimes. that, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Scott. 
I will concur. Uh, yes, consult with your notes from a year ago. Uh, <laughs> it consults the the oracle uh, that is Goodreads. Uh, a Revenant Gun will be number one uh-huh. on my list. I think Record of a Space Spore and Few would be number two because I really liked it. I will do Calculating Stars because even though I didn't like it as much as a lot of other people, I do think it's very good uh, and I like what it is uh, if that makes any sense mm-hmm. uh the trail of lightning spinning silver because it's just a little too long uh and then no award uh and then space <laughs> opera <laughs> and aline so i think i'm gonna put trail of lightning first only because the calculating stars won the nebula and i loved them both so much mm-hmm. so i'm gonna put trail of lightning and then the calculating stars and then revenant gun and then I think Spinning Silver is next for me. Record of a Spaceborn Few, which was still excellent. Um, and then Space Opera at the bottom. All right. And for me, it is going to be, this is going to be a real shocker for everybody. Uh, the Calculating Stars, number one. Trail of Lightning, number two. Record of a Spaceborn Few, number three. Spinning Silver, number four. Revenant Gun, number five. And then a very, 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 very long drop, because I liked all five of those books, to Space yeah. Opera, which is number six. Mm-hmm. And Calculating Stars and Trail of Lightning are the ones that I liked, I, I would say, by far the best. But the other three I also liked. I just didn't like them as much. I, yeah, I would say five out of six of these books are well worth reading. Um, and one is a mystery why it's on the list. If we described uh, Space Opera and you're like, oh, that actually sounds good. Go read it. And yeah. if, some people read like one it. chapter, read one chapter. And if you are like, or <laughs> even maybe just one page. Yeah, re- yeah, read one page. And if, if you don't like that page, you're not going to like the book. If you do, you're probably like buy it immediately. And that uh, that makes our rankings. Uh, we once again, we have a tie, but this time it's tie for number one, Calculating oh, Stars nice. and Trail of Lightning, and then Revenant Gun, then Record of a Spaceborn Few, then Spinning Silver, and then Space Opera got all the last place votes. Congratulations to Space Opera for that. Sweet. <laughs> Woohoo. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so in the novella category, which is the slightly, it's the novella category, What the way I describe it today is it's a short novel. <laughs> yeah. That's basically, basically what it is. It's a short novel. And I didn't read them all. I didn't get to them all, but I did read sort of three and a half of them. And mm-hmm. I, I jump in if anybody else read any of these. I know Erica's been doing I, a bunch of the reading. I did all but half of one of them. Okay. So. I, so I read Artificial Condition, which is the second Murderbot novella by Martha Wells, which I have refused to uh, buy those books, even though I liked the first one on the principle that they charge the full cost of a book for a like a hundred page novella. Um, but guess what? It was in the Hugo packet, so I got to read it. <laughs> yep, <laughs> ditto. That. And uh, ditto. I didn't like it as much as All Systems Red, the first Murderbot book. I thought it was fine, but um, it didn't. It, it didn't thrill me with the weirdness of the twists of the main character, uh, because in, in this one, basically, um, the main character, she uh, the murder bot, she watches a bunch of TV and makes friends with a spaceship and then sort of tries to solve a mystery on a planet mm-hmm. that doesn't go well. And then that's that's it. And tries to protect some, some, some pe- people, some dummies. So yeah, said, some real dummies. Some real mm-hmm. dummy humans. Uh, yeah. Meat, the meat bags, they're the worst. Uh, and yes, that's, that's, it was fine. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, was, I I felt a little let down because I liked All Systems Red a lot better. And this one was just sort of like mm-hmm. another episode in Murderbot, the series. That is exactly what I was just going to say. It just felt like another episode. Like the, the pilot is really good and it grabs you. And then the first proper episode of the show is just sort of, oh, it's just the continuing adventures of this character that I, that I met. It's yeah. fine. I liked it, but it's. Yeah. Fine. So I mentioned that, uh, as is somewhat famous if you've listened to these book club episodes, especially early on, how Scott and I really, 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 really hated Feed by Mira Grant. Mm-hmm. Poke it with a stick, drink a Coke, all of those things. Um, so Mira Grant is a, is a pseudonym. Her The actual writer is uh, Shannon McGuire. And her novella Beneath the Sugar Sky was nominated for Best Novella. And I really liked it. I I really liked it. It is about um it is a school where everybody who is a kid who discovers a portal to a magical realm and eventually 
leaves that realm and gets kicked back to Earth and can no longer return, they all go to this school and are kind of sad or try to figure out a way to get back to their magical realm. And I thought that was a really clever idea. And then the adventure that is had in a very strange candy land, basically, <laughs> among the characters. Uh, I don't know. I liked it. I thought it was very weird. I thought the concept of the school and the fact that these are these sad characters who've all been kicked out of Narnia and they don't have anywhere to go. Uh, and so they have a quest to this other weird fantasy land. I thought it was, I thought it was uh, fun and weird and didn't overstay its welcome. And I actually kind of liked it. Yeah, I actually, I, the, the first novella in this series, um, Every Heart a Doorway, I loved. It's one of my favorite oh, books I haven't even read of, that. of all in like the last, it was hmm. nominated for best novella the year before last, I want to say. And it's just, it, it was so good. I just, it blew me away and I loved it because of, of the, the idea that, you know, all of these portal fantasies have happened, but these poor kids then end up back on Earth and don't want to be because they're heroes <laughs> they're and totally kings. They're totally screwed because they're on and stupid And mermaids Earth. and, yeah, and they're stuck on Earth. And then, so there's there's a mystery happening here. Um, it's it's a murder mystery, basically, in this school. And it's just, it's really good. I don't want to say any more than that because I don't want to ruin it if you want to read it. Uh, then last year, um, there was a sequel that was called, I think, Down in the Sticks and Bones, I think it might have been called. And that one, I did not like nearly as much. It, it followed two of the characters, or it was actually a prequel, about how two of the characters ended up in their in their fantasy world and and what happened to them there. And I just, I kind of didn't dig it. So when I saw that there was another one here, I was kind of like, oh boy, here we go again. But no, it was, it was fun. I did not, I didn't like it nearly as much as I liked the first one, but I, I, I still, this to me also sort of felt like, oh, it's the continuing adventures of these kids from this school, but it was much more enjoyable for me than that, uh, than the middle one. So yeah, thumbs up to Beneath the Sugar Sky for yeah. sure. And I tried to read Binti the Night Masquerade, but it's the sequel to Binti. Um, and I it's didn't read third, that. I think. And I tried to read this and I couldn't. Uh, it was incomprehensible to me. So I gave up. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine trying to just jump in with this one. And I think it might actually be the third in the series mm -hmm. um, and not the second. And I love I really, really like this series as well. Actually, Binti the Night Masquerade is uh, my number one in the novella category mm -hmm. because I just find that that series just amazing uh it's a it's it's about a uh woman from africa this is in the future when there are aliens and uh we know about them who uh manages to get i think a scholarship to like the best school in the universe so she's leaving her her family and her tribe behind and going into space and ends up getting caught in the middle of like this intergalactic a conflict between different races that want to kill each other and is sort of she takes on some of the characteristics of some of these races it's it's a weird thing that happens uh, but so she's basically the the link that is keeping these two uh, that's keeping this this super warlike race from trying to kill everybody else and then it's sort of her uh, how she learns how to deal with that and the powers that have sort of come along with this it's it's a it's cool I, I recommend I recommend it, but I recommend reading Binti first. Yeah, I I it, it was really interesting. Um and there were a lot of things I liked about it. And then I finally just decided I know this is more than one and I'm coming in, in the middle and it became so incomprehensible that I just said I give up. So I will I'll go back to the beginning in that. Um and the Tea Master and the Detective I also I also read and I could have sworn I read it before. Um, but maybe I've just read other books in this world this is the sentient ship mm -hmm. that um mm -hmm. makes tea for people and uh <laughs> solves crimes sort of it's 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 super weird mm -hmm. this is alette de bedard but um i liked it it was it they're very strange but uh it was good it was basically a sherlock holmes uh -huh. novel where sherlock holmes is uh, this very cranky lady and watson is a sentient ship that brews tea <laughs> And it's a murder mystery. As you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also quite liked it. I liked it as well. Yeah, it's good. And I haven't read the other two. Erica, do you have thoughts? Anybody else have thoughts about the other two? Black God's Drums and God's Mon Monsters and the Lucky Peach? Uh, I read uh, the Black God's Drums is one where I... I actually made it to like 46% instead of 33%, but it was just... It was it was too much for me. Um, the, the language was very... Um, 
people spoke with accents and I find it really difficult to read sometimes trying to figure out like, you know, I can't skim and read as fast as usual when there are when there's accented words, whether it's an alien accent or in this case where it's it's human accents. Um, so it was it was an interesting story and I may go back and, and finish it. I just didn't I couldn't quite stick it out for this. Um, and then I just today read God's Monsters and the Lucky Peach by Kelly Robson. Um, it took me by surprise. I had forgotten that Kelly is from Alberta. So when like in the second paragraph, they're like, oh, in the Calgary habitat, blah, 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 blah. I was like, what? Because, <laughs> you know, I don't I don't see local like Edmonton was mentioned several times as this terrible place that starved to death. So it was a little uncomfortable reading about the future of Alberta and knowing that, uh, in hundreds and hundreds of years, Edmonton's going to be just a crater. Um, but it was it was very sort of like futuristic, hard sci-fi, time travel, post-apocalypse, uh, different generations of, you know, people who had, uh, what do they call them? They call them plague babies and fat babies are the two sort of like parts of society that are kind of at odds with each other. Uh, the old The old guard trying to deal with the new guard and then and then there's time travel and it's it's a lot i i enjoyed it but it felt like it felt like i had to pay close attention it was kind of like the uh, the first the first book in um Yoon Ha Lee's series where nothing's explained you just have to sort of glean and since i was trying to read it fast that was not the not the best way to read it don't try to read this the day before you have to vote people just uh yeah. take it slow good advice any other nominees that we should mention? I read some of the short stories. Yeah. Um, not all of them. So so I read The Court Magician by Sarah Pink- Pinsker? Pinsker. Pinsker. Pinsker, thank you. Um, which is about uh, a, a, a boy who becomes a court magician and what are the consequences of becoming the magician and um, how does that all happen and it was it was okay. Um, I read Stet uh, by Sarah Gailey and another one that was it was okay. Um, the thing that I really appreciated about it is it's like this um, it is an academic article that has been written about um, self-driving vehicles and it's a nice, it's great for short stories because it plays with the short story format. And so you're actually reading the article, which is, you know, standard academic, but the story is really in the footnotes. And so it was hard to read. I was reading it on my phone and because like the story is happening in the footnotes and you're trying to flip back and forth between mm -hmm. them and the pages scrolling and that kind of stuff. Um, so that wasn't a great experience. Maybe it's better on a computer if you're reading it. Um, but it was a really, really interesting way to play with the way you tell a story. I didn't love the story itself that much, but that was good. Um, I am in the middle of the tale of the three beautiful raptor sisters and the prince who is made of meat, which is told from the perspective of the three beautiful raptor sisters, um, <laughs> it is told from a raptor perspective, which again, I'm not loving it. And it's I've been reading it for several days now, so I'm just kind of dipping in and out of it a little bit at a time. But again, playing with format and perspective and language and how you frame things like there are sentences. It's one of those stories where there are sentences I'm reading and I'm like, oh, that was really pretty or that was really neat or that <laughs> was an interesting way to think about it. And then the one that I really loved and I would recommend uh, that people read if they're interested in short stories was A Witch's Guide to Escape, A Practical Compendium of Portal Fantasies um, by Alex Harrow. And it is about a librarian who is a witch um, and the way that books and people are drawn to each other. Um, and about the witchy type of librarians, because not every librarian is a witch, um, <laughs> about how they can give people what they need when they need it. And I just thought it was just kind of as someone who loves to read, it was just like a beautiful story about about books and love and helping people in sad situations, I guess. And I really, really liked it a lot. Yeah, that was my favorite as well, uh, A Witch's Guide to Escape. 
um, because, yeah, as, as if you are a person who really just loves books with the whole of your being and in particular likes portal fantasies, you know, the books where, you know, somebody falls into another world, just go and read that story. It's it's beautiful. It's it's really, really sweet. Um, I also I also read and enjoyed uh, the Rose McGregor Drinking and Admiration Society. I actually read it for Uncanny Magazine. It, uh, it's, it's a very sort of nice, light story that sort of turns a lot of fantasy tropes on their head in terms of uh, what happens specifically to women when they end up uh, in a fairyland and... Uh, it's uh, it's just it's cute. I don't want to say any more than that, because if that sounds interesting, go read it and mm. you'll probably laugh. Uh, I will say that uh, apparently uh, each world con, uh, uh, the world con, which hosts the Hugo Awards can add a category. I didn't know this. Uh, Dublin has chosen to add best art book. And in that I am mentioning it because there is a book that came out, Dungeons and Dragons, Art and Arcana, a visual history, which if you love Dungeons and Dragons, uh, is a book you should own because it is fantastic and it goes through all the editions and uh, showcases all the art that's in uh, the various books of Dungeons and Dragons. And I really like it. And I got it for Christmas and it was a lovely present. Oh, mm. Very nice. I've heard good things. Tempting, tempting, very tempting. I like it. And of course, Erica and uh, her husband, Stephen, and others are up for best uh, semi-prosine again for Uncanny Magazine. So, Woo! It's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. Again. Sadly, I can't afford to go to Dublin. Dublin. Well, that's okay. No. I'm sure Dan Morin will run up on stage if you win and accept it on your behalf. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be tackled by security. Mm-hmm. That may also happen, but that'd be fun too. All right. Well, I think then we've done our uh, our due diligence and thus ends our uh, year-long read of <laughs> novels <laughs> for awards that we, you know. So on with the next one, I guess. You're here. On to the next one. I'm just looking forward to reading something that I don't have to read for awards. It, it's yeah, it's nice. It's nice. <laughs> Fun to do reading. That. Here I come. Yeah. Every now and then, though, I'll end up reading something, and then the novel, the nominees will come out, and I'll go like, "Oh yes, I read that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I already yes. did it. I got gotcha. you. I beat you." Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's how like, I managed to read so early this year. Yeah. Is I, I'd, I'd done that. That's good. That's like clever. When, when you're in a class in college and you get the reading lesson, you're like, oh, "I've read books on this list already." <laughs> <laughs> I win at life. (laughs) So much time. All right. Well, the the Hugo Awards uh, will be announced in Dublin uh, later in August, uh, but we have done our due diligence here. And and now you uh, know what we think of more things that are on an award shortlist. So you can go and do what you will with that information. Uh, But I want to thank my guests for being here in another edition of the Incomparable Book Club. Scott McNulty, again, thank you for being here as a new parent uh, that it's it's tricky, but we we got you here, so thank you. That's right. I look forward to possibly having the time to read more books for next year's episode. Maybe. <laughs> well, sometimes if it's anything like when I had uh, little kids, sometimes uh, they wake you up at two in the morning and you're like, "Well, I'll do some reading while I'm here." <laughs> so, you know, I'm up. I might as well. It can't make your memory of books you've read any worse. So that is true. Maybe you'll remember things better. Nah, that's not going to happen. Are we kidding? No. (laughs) Aline Sims, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And Erica Ensign, uh, thank you and congratulations on your latest Hugo nomination as well. Thank you very much, Jason. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. Not really eligible in any category for the Hugo Awards. It's fine. Uh, We will see you next week.